Some of you have heard me mention Ed Dobson in the past, pastor in Grand Rapids for many years, and in the fall of 2000, he was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And in 2012, he did a a documentary, a a film documentary, sort of uh, giving updates on his life and his ongoing struggle to give thanks while living with this incurable condition. He says, there are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put on a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my right hand above my head. I can no longer write. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I eat with my left hand. And now even that is becoming a challenge. And over time, all of these challenges will get worse and worse. So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? So much, he says. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you that I can turn over in my bed. Lord, thank you that I can still get out of bed. Lord, thank you that I can walk to the bathroom. Lord, thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Lord, thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Lord, thank you that I can still dress myself. Lord, thank you that I can still drive my car. Lord, thank you that I can still walk. Lord, thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on. I have learned in my journey with this disease to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. I have learned to be grateful for the small things in my life and for the many things I can still do. I was so struck with that very simple and and yet obvious truth, giving thanks even in the very difficult times of our lives for those things that we can do. A focus upon what we have versus what we do not have seems to me to really be at the heart of gratitude and key in those words of our text that we're looking at in this this two-week series on Thanksgiving in this time of the year, where Paul told the believers in Thessalonica, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I know I've referred to ruthless trust a number of times. It has so marked my thinking in the last couple of months. And Brendan Manning relates a story that was told by a friend of his, John Cavanaugh, professor at St. Louis University for a number of years. He tells of an older woman who was in an extended care hospital. And he doesn't name her disease, but sounds very similar to what Dobson has been struggling with. And he says that a student of mine happened upon this woman. It was a coincidental visit. She kept going back because she was drawn by this strange force of the woman's joy. Though she could no longer move her arms and legs, she would say, I'm just so happy I can move my neck. When she could no longer move her neck, she would say, I'm just so glad I can hear and see. When the student finally asked the woman what would happen if she lost her sense of sound and sight, this gentle lady said, I'll just be so grateful that you come to visit. And then Kavanaugh writes this. He said, there was was an uncommon freedom in that student's eyes as she told me about this woman. Somehow, 
a great enemy had been disarmed in her life. I love that. As we consider the importance of of being a people who give thanks in all circumstances of life, it is so critical, I think, that we remember the spiritual war that is revealed to us in Scripture that we are, in fact, in a battle and the great enemy of God who wars against him often does so by bringing opposition against his people. And he does so for the purpose of eliciting responses, words, and actions from God's people that will ultimately reflect poorly upon God's name and upon his character. This is hard stuff. I don't say it lightly. And I say it as someone who has really never suffered greatly, as some of you have. So know that I don't say this lightly. I don't say this as, oh, ho-hum, here we go. I say it with a conviction that I think it is what God wants us to remember in this broken, very difficult life that we live. As we know, Job, that Old Testament character, didn't have the benefit of being able to read the first two chapters of the story that bears his name. He might have appreciated that. Could have had a better understanding of of the chaos that was going on in his life. We get to see through those chapters a, a glimpse of the animosity that the enemy has toward God looking for every opportunity to bring hardship and suffering upon God's people because with hardship and suffering comes the possibility for sowing seeds of discouragement and doubt about God. Discouragement about God's character, doubt about his perfect care. When people respond as that woman in the story or as Ed Dobson has shared, it's really something very special. It's really, I think it's almost miraculous. Because they're not just gritting their teeth and getting through it. They are, they are giving thanks. They are expressing thanksgiving in the midst of some very broken circumstances And there is an attitude of gratitude in their lives that I think speaks loudly to those who are watching. I suggested to you last Sunday that that giving thanks in all circumstances can be something that sets God's people apart from the crowd. Jesus said that people would know that we are his followers by the love that we have for one another. He told his disciples that. So true. And I confessed to you last Sunday that I'm, I'm pretty certain that, that right there next to that second prize goes to those who find a spirit of gratitude and they express that, especially, especially when life hurts. Because in doing so, they're witnessing, I think, to a work of the Spirit of God in their lives. It's just not 
normal. Think of the people in your life. Folks, perhaps that you work with, students that you go to school with. Do you hear people being grateful? Do you hear people being thankful a lot? Do you especially hear them giving thanks for difficult circumstances? Do you hear them giving thanks for anything at all? I think we know. If we're honest, this is, this is supernatural stuff. Because we are fallen creatures, it's, it is, it's endemic to complain. I mean, I never do, but I know you do a lot. Jeez. Not to give thanks, to complain. We've, we always want things to be bigger and better and brighter and more fair and grander and nicer. That's who we are. It is human nature in a fallen world. Here's the truth. Anyone can give thanks for good and pleasant things. I think that's why there's so many exhortation in the New Testament that speak to being thankful and to rejoicing in the difficult and unpleasant things. That's just not normal. And so when it's done, if that's characteristic of an individual, and pretty soon folks who are watching that person's life, involved with that individual, listening to their life, they think to themselves, something odd is going on here. And that's what it's all about. Is that strangeness that is produced by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people brings attention, ultimately, to God. So we're going to read our very brief text again together this morning. And remember, the context of these three short verses, you remember that Paul has given them to the believers in Thessalonica. They are under the heading of what some of your Bibles might call final instructions. And Paul has been talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus and and living in such a way that you are prepared You are anticipating, you are looking forward to his return. So, with that context, let's stand again this morning and and read our text. Here we go. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's so short, we probably need to do it one more time. Here we go. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for his people. Amen. Okay. Go ahead and be seated and turn to your neighbor and ask him this question. Oh, it's an easy one. How much does God love his people? Go ahead. Try to come up with those images and those words that describe it. Okay. You know, when my kids were little, some of you have probably done this. You know, put them in bed at night. I love you. I love you this much. Oh, Dad, I love you this much. Oh, I love you this much. You know, and, and we just go down all these ridiculous pathways of trying to, to, to frame 
the enormity of our love. Well, that's similar to what I've just asked you to do, but it's a good reminder because we get a little fuzzy. We get a little comfortable. We get a little passe with the things that we know. Yeah, God loves me. I know that. Whoop-dee-doo. How much does he love you? Enough to die for me. What else? Infinitely. What does that mean, Mr. Engineer? <laughs> it means really big <laughs> and maybe around for a long time. <laughs> okay, bigger than that. Doug? Oh, yes, yes, Matt. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever think about that? God loved us enough to take on flesh. I mean, we often think of the suffering of Jesus being at the cross, and certainly that's the epitome of the suffering. But I'm pretty convinced that the first 30 years was suffering too. In the flesh, God in the flesh came and took on our existence, lived with us. You know, we're not easy to live with. And, and, and that was, I think, an enormous part of suffering. Okay, so, so we know that God loves us more than our infinite minds can, can grapple with, understand. He, he loved us enough to die for us, to take on flesh, to live among us. So here's another question. How do you know this? For the Bible tells me so. Yeah, and that would fall under the category of what, Karen? Revealed truth. How do you know that that revealed truth is true? Can I just push a little bit further? Faith, belief, trust. He is greatly patient with us. Diane? Okay. Okay. That what some folks say, that that subjective becomes objective in our lives as, as we experience that. It's important for us not to forget the role of trust and belief. We'll, we'll hear this again. Hang, hang on to that. Let's look back real quickly at the, the first two orgs, two I can't speak. The first two exhortations. You know, last Sunday, you know, I suggested that if we if we really grasp the significance of those and put them into practice, I think what it does is it puts us in a better position to understand. The significance of the third exhortation, give thanks in everything. Really? Give thanks in everything? Everything means everything? Yeah, unfortunately it does. But I think if we just kind of come to that without considering how the first two have led us into that, then we're going to sort of short-circuit the meaning of it in our lives. I think that we desperately need the Spirit of God, to open our minds and our hearts. And I know I've said this to you before, but do you cry out to the Spirit of God on a regular basis to make those things clear that aren't clear? To empower you to to live in obedience to those things that are are so challenging and so hard, like this one, to be (laughs) grateful in all circumstances? We as God's people 
desperately need the work of God's Spirit. And so, that first exhortation to be joyful always, rejoice always, I suggested to you that that our ability to rejoice always seems to me that it's tied to the object of what we find joy in. Joy will ebb and flow with the nature of those things that I think are the, the object of our joy, the source of our joy. A continuous source of joy for the believer is always what? You tell me from last week? God so the world. It is that infinite love that we try to get our minds about, around, that, that, we are, that we are accepting by faith, that we are putting our confidence and our trust in. Continuous source of joy for the believer is the love of God that brought about salvation. And remember, we, we said last week, we've got to be clear and we need to be honest. There was nothing in us that earned that salvation. And that truth will never change. If we're honest with what the Scripture says about lost people, then with the power of God's Spirit opening our hearts and our minds to that truth, it should fuel our awe and our wonder at a God who would love us so passionately that He would die for us. That makes no sense at all. That's why it's so amazing that He would sacrifice His sinless Son in order to save us for relationship with Himself. I mean, go ahead and rejoice in the economy. Go ahead and rejoice in political stuff. Go ahead and rejoice in friendships and expect to be disappointed. Rejoicing in the unchanging love of God for His people is something that never changes. And again, the Spirit of God needs to be at work. We need to constantly be asking, help me, help me to remember, help me to know better. Help me to more clearly understand. Otherwise, we go down this path of taking some form of credit for our salvation. That is nonsense. So again, tell me, how do we know this stuff is true? By faith, we trust. And that is, in fact, why it is called faith. The writer of Hebrews defines faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is a work of God's Spirit in our lives. The second exhortation, pray continually. Pray without ceasing, I think is what the old King James says. Pray all the time. And we look at that and go, how on earth does that happen? Well, I think the key as we said last week, is to understand the relationship that God has saved us into. We have been adopted as his children. God didn't save us to just go live life as we choose. He saved us to be in an eternal relationship as his children. That means that God has saved us for a relationship that is quite unimaginable in its intimacy. 
We've become his children, Paul told the Romans, co-heirs with the Lord Jesus. We have the privilege, and it is a huge privilege, to speak of God and with God as our Father, as Abba. Scripture does not teach anywhere that all human beings are children of God. And I know that's a nice sentimental thing to say, to talk about humanity being the children of God. But if we talk about all humanity being the children of God, then we take away from the significance of what Christ did on the cross in order to adopt us and to make us sons and daughters of God. It's just a little language thing, but I think it's significant. And remember what Jesus taught his followers in response to their request. So, Lord... Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. The first words of the prayer that he taught them. You remember how to address Yahweh? Our Father. Our Father. Say to the God of Israel, Our Father. I I wish I could have been there to see the looks on the disciples' faces. It had to be so much fun. Can you imagine? You mean... Jesus, you mean the one who spoke the universe into existence? Call him father? You mean the one who who devastated Egypt? Call call him father? The one who, who shook Mount Sinai? Call him father? Seems just a little bit too intimate, don't you think, Jesus? You ever wonder why the disciples asked for those instructions on prayer? These were Jews. They were taught to pray. They prayed several times a day. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. I think they watched Jesus' life and they saw an intimacy of relationship that somehow called to their hearts. Jesus lived before them a relationship with Yahweh of Israel that they could not even imagine in their wildest dreams. And as a result of his death, he was going to make a way for that to become a reality. And that is what he did for us. Again, here's a point where we need to express our desire and and dependence upon the Spirit of God to bring the truth of God as Father deeply into our hearts so that our lives are affected by it. I think the reason it's so important is we'll never be able to live in obedience to this third exhortation if we've not cultivated an intimate relationship with God as our Father. How can we give thanks for everything in all circumstances if we are not convinced that God loves us? How can we give thanks for everything that comes into our life if somehow we are not intimate enough with God that we think that He is overlooked or that He has forgotten? Somehow somehow He's not mindful of the situation that I'm in. How can we give thanks for everything if He's not intimately involved in our lives or we don't understand that intimate involvement as a good father? And that he is always, as Paul wrote to the Roman believers, he's working all things, all things, everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Again, this is about trust. This is about belief. This is about pursuing intimacy with God as our Abba through the power of the Spirit, his Spirit who lives in us. Those who are called according to his purpose that Paul references there in Romans, 
They're his kids. They are called into intimate relationship with him. So think for just a minute with me about the glimpse that we get of the relationship that Jesus had with his father in the garden before his trial and, and, and crucifixion. How does he pray? Praise Abba, Father. And what does he say? Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. If there is any other way for this to be accomplished, Father, then let's do that. Jesus in his full humanity anticipated the suffering and the pain that was going to be his experience in just a few hours. He lived in the Roman Empire for 30 years. He'd seen crucifixions. He knew what they were about. And he in his humanity did not want to experience it. Our flesh, our humanity does not want to suffer. We do not want to experience hard things. We want life to be good and easy. So does everyone. But it's not. And when it's not, how do God's people show great witness for their faith and their confidence in God and His love and His goodness and His intimacy to them as Father? (sighs) They say with Jesus, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that, my friends, I think can only come out of a relationship with Abba. An intimate relationship that allows us to believe and to trust in His love, in His good plan. I think it can only happen when we have complete confidence in the goodness of our Heavenly Father. And, and frankly... At least I know it's true for me. I don't think that that kind of confidence comes without intentional pursuit of intimacy with Him. Again, this is a dimension of our lives that requires desperate dependence upon the Spirit of God. Now, don't hear me say that this is somehow a way that makes us impervious to the suffering and pain and general hardships of life. It doesn't. We're human. We feel it. It hurts. It cuts deep. I'm not advocating in any way a casual disregard. We don't laugh in the face of pain. That's stupid. That's that's not human. What I am saying is that we suffer with confidence. We suffer with hope. We suffer knowing that our God is a good God, that He is a good Father, that He is ministering a good plan that works all things in our lives together for His glory and for our good in this broken world. And and here, quite honestly... This takes us back, I think, to Job. This is a point of huge spiritual warfare. The enemy wants nothing more than to whisper in our ears words of doubt. Really? Really, God loves you? 
And he allows this. What kind of loving God is that? Oh, really? God's a good father? And he allows this kind of thing to go on in your life? You can be sure that the enemy is looking for those opportunities continuously. And here's the thing. I'll be the first one to stand here and say, I don't necessarily understand how it all works. But I want to trust, to desperately trust. And I think that that is the point of witness to those who see our attitude and our desire and our yearning to give thanks in all circumstances. And we don't express it in any other way than simply showing and verbalizing humble confidence in God's goodness toward us as his children. We don't have answers. We trust him. And we wish that the pain would be less. But if it's not, we're going to trust him. And like Jesus, if there could be another way, we would welcome that. But if the Father in his goodness says no, then we're going to trust him. I believe with all of my heart that giving thanks in all circumstances is one of the most powerful witnesses that we can have to those who watch our lives. And here's the thing. There's no magic formula. I'd like to tell you I'm going to get rich on the book that I write. Seven steps to trusting God in the hard times. For some, it'll be one or two steps. For some, it'll be 70 steps. The ability to give thanks in all circumstances of life is to live with a determination and a desperate dependence upon the Spirit of God who gives us entry into the relationship of intimacy that our Heavenly Father has called us to as His children. If we want those in our lives without Christ to know Him, I think giving thanks in all circumstances will catch their attention and possibly open doors to conversations that were were previously closed. You know, in, in small things, like not complaining about the lines at Starbucks and lousy weather, to major things, like expressing gratitude to God in the midst of cancer. The key is to throw ourselves upon the grace of God to express our desperate dependence upon His Spirit to minister strength and courage to us so that we can live with confidence in the goodness of our God. That's amazing stuff. And it's hard. But it's real and it's important. And ultimately, it brings God great witness. So praise team, come on up. And and as you do, I want to close with a story from Ruthless Trust.
14th century theologian and mystic John Toller prayed for eight years that God would send him a person who would teach him the true way of perfection. And one day while at prayer, he heard a voice from within telling him to go outside to the steps of the church and there he would meet his mentor. So he obeyed without hesitation and on the church steps, Toller found a barefoot ragamuffin in rags, wounded and caked in blood. Toller greeted the man cordially and said, Good morning, dear brother. May God give you a good day and grant you a happy life. Sir, replied the ragamuffin, I do not remember ever having a bad day. Stunned, Toller asked him how that was possible, since sadness and grief are part of the human condition. Well, the beggar explained, You wished me a good day. And I replied that I cannot recall ever having spent a bad day. You see, whether my stomach is full or I am famished with hunger, I praise God equally when I am rebuffed and despised. I still thank God. My trust in God's providence and his plan for my life is absolute, so there is no such thing as a bad day. And then he continued, Sir, you also wished me a happy life. I must insist that I am always happy, for it would be untruthful to state otherwise. He's either happy or he's nuts, right? My experience of God has taught me that whatever he does must of necessity be good. There's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thus everything that I receive from his loving hand or whatever he permits me to receive from the hands of others, be it prosperity or adversity, sweet or bitter, I accept with joy and see it as a sign of his favor. For many, many years, my first resolution each morning is to attach myself to nothing but the will of God alone. I have learned that the will of God is the love of God. And by the outpouring of His grace, I have so emerged my will with His that whatever He wills, I will too. Therefore, I have always been happy. Father, We celebrate Thanksgiving in this month. May it be more than just a day of counting our blessings. May Thanksgiving become a way of life for us, your people. We admit our desperate need of your spirit to help us rethink, to help us refocus, to remind us of who we are, to remind us of what you have done in order to make us who we are. Oh God, there is so much work that your spirit needs to do in our heads and our hearts. And we long for him to have his way in us so that we might be a people who more than just one day in November, but every day, in every circumstance, in everything, we give thanks for your glory and for your praise, because you are good. Amen.